Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we are in a mode of celebration. Uh, These are just glimpses of heaven, being able to... uh, See the unity of your spirit amongst your people. See the gifts and the talents and the treasures uh, that promote the kingdom of God, that promote the body of Christ, that are able to champion uh, for our children what they will confront tomorrow and to be able to tell them yet that, that the promises of God are yes and amen. Father, these are all what your word says. We, we would not even be participating with a joyous celebration if it were not for your word. So we ask you to reveal your word to us this morning. Speak to our hearts out of the Bible. Allow us to see what your word says, that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Your word reveals that which is in darkness. It's like a torch that shines bright prophetically in a dark generation. Father, The devil has thwarted your word, has has mixed and disguised himself for us to not take your word seriously. Your word has become foreign to many of those who profess to know you. They don't walk according to your word. And you say that if they don't walk according to your word, they're not walking in your light. They're not walking in your wisdom. So we pray that your word would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would produce good fruit, a harvest that glorifies your name, that your word would be a double-edged sword and that we might go into the depth of the revelation of that contained within scripture so that we might see your heart and put our fingers in the pulse of that which is passionate to you. We glorify you and we thank you, Lord, and that your, retur- your word not return void, that, but that it establish and accomplish that for which you send it. Give us an understanding of eternity. Give us an understanding of your kingdom. Give us an understanding of the king and his glorious desire to be with his people as he is presented as the bridegroom that is coming for his bride. Allow us to see what it's going to be like in the marriage feast of the Lamb and that we might prepare ourselves to participate in a manner that's holy, pure, and glorious. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Within the pages of Scripture, we see an incredible amount of comparisons made between an earthly bride, the church, and the bridegroom, Christ. And to think of ourselves as the bride of Christ, listen well, to consider yourself as the bride of Christ is the most encouraging and profitable reality afforded to us in Scripture. A lot of people do not know that Christ, as the bridegroom, revealed in John chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 29... And John says that, chapter 3, verse 29. 
He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Why, why would John be writing these words in his gospel so early on? He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The, the, there is a relationship between this woman who prepares herself. Just like we were just saying about Melissa Gill. Um, she spent months of preparation, years even. We, we said even from her young years, she set her heart on being that woman that would be fit for the bridegroom. The bride is, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, those that were around, and it was, some, it was tremendous to be at the reception, and, and both Joshua and Brandon got to speak about their 15-year assignment preparing Nick and Mel to clash ultimately together and to end up in what they saw as an expression. They, Joshua and Brandon were saying, you know something, we put this thing together. We made sure that nobody would mess with Mel, that she would only have eyes for Nick. We made sure that Nick was flawless in his approach. And that's what the friend of the bridegroom does. He puts things together to connect. He says the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears the bridegroom, he's the friend hears him, he rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. When Jesus came upon the earth, the church began to hear the words that were coming out of this man's mouth as he prepared to set apart a bride unto himself. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. The Bible says, husband, love your wives like Christ also loved the church. He surrenders for her entirely. This, this disposition of the character of a husband must model Christ. And I want to tell all the husbands out there, you want your wife to fall in love, you, love, fall in love with you, become more like Christ. Have the tenderness of surrender of the will. Let down your guard, your arrogance, your pride, and begin to serve your wife. How? As Christ served the church. He gave it all. How much do you have? And we were talking about saving somebody's marriage a couple of years ago. And we said to the man, we got the secret on this. Give everything to your wife. And all the women say, amen. Give everything to your wife. I told one man, this is a true story. This happened about two years ago. He was having all sorts of arguments. I can't give it all to her. I can't give it all to her. I can't give it all to her. I go, why not? Because then I'm not going to have anything. I go, look, why don't we do something? For the next, it was June, and so we had six months here. It was a couple years ago before COVID. I said, you're going to give everything to your wife, and in six months, you're going to know whether she's a harlot or she's a bride. What? Yeah. If you give everything to your wife and she leaves you and misspend it, I'd rather find out I'm married to the wrong person in six months than to live 10 years with a total dimwit. 
Wouldn't you want to know that you're married to the wrong woman who is not a glorious bride? The Bible says when Jesus surrendered everything to his church, he gave himself for her. Verse 26 says the reason why. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. Why? Because when you're not giving everything to your wife, you give a lot of reason for her to doubt why she's even with you. But if you're giving her everything, you begin to cleanse her and sanctify her as you wash her by your word. When you keep your word, you actually bring certainty, security, peace into the heart of your wife. She didn't have to figure out if you're on the team or if you're cheating behind her back. You keep her clean and pure. Verse 27, so that you could have a glorious, that you might present her to yourself as a glorious church. Without spot, without wrinkle, any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. That's what a bride becomes when a man is at her side. Everything that is coming as baggage from yesterday is put away. And now there's a new start. It's a glorious start. And Jesus is the model of this reality. Now, when you get surprised that I would bring up the word harlot, don't be surprised. Because just as the Bible began with a marriage relationship in Adam and Eve, the Bible says at the end of time, there will be a wedding feast of the Lamb. But before that wedding feast arises in Revelations chapter 17, verse 5, we see that there's a woman that comes out of the water riding a beast, and on her forehead, there's a name, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots. The one that does everything that's an abomination of the earth. Yesterday, as I was going to begin my ceremony, I was thinking about starting like this. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in this festive moment of a wedding ceremony. And it is a curse and damnation for a man to marry a woman that doesn't respect him. That would have been awful. It would have been appropriate but it would have been awful. How is it that a man would come into union in such a manner that he has disrespect and not honor? That he not be the head of the household like Christ is the head of the church? How is it that they would not be one, but they are two, and those that are double-minded, God will not give what he has for them? They're not walking in blessing, they're walking in curse. But here in the book of Revelations, we see the harlot, the woman who is an abomination, the woman who is rebellious. And Jesus is not marrying this woman. You get to choose if you are part of the bride of the lamb and you will be present at the wedding feast of the lamb or you are part of this harlot. Verse six says, she has become drunk. This woman has become drunk with the blood of saints. Her battle is against men of God, against the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I was marveled and greatly, I stood in great amazement. 
I also freak out when I see a witch, when I see a horrible woman who does not have the disposition of the woman of virtue. This is what we celebrated yesterday in Melissa's life. She has become a woman of extreme wisdom. She has the fragrance of Christ. She opens up her mouth with kindness. Have you ever been around a woman who opens up her mouth and all that comes out is foolishness, embarrassment? Every declaration is disrespectful and dishonorable. These women that are not prepared, we see them throughout the Bible that God is prepared in Revelations chapter 21, verse 2. Um, John says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And this new Jerusalem, the city of God, was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I have never heard a preacher preach like Bishop Wellington Boone, who tells women they're to dress for their husband. Have you ever seen a woman who's sharing her nakedness with public? She wants to show her cleavage. She wants to show her legs. She wants to show her extended expressions of implants. And she's not dressing for her husband. She's dressing for men to look upon her instead of giving herself to her husband. It was glorious to see a woman who knows that she has a husband at home. She has a marital bed which is adorned and prepared for her husband. And so this woman has eyes for a disposition to look good for her man and not look good for the general public. In fact, that was one of the rules I had for my boys growing up. I said, whenever you walk through the mall and you see a woman showing you her body, I said, run for the hills. Because she's showing her body off to the general public. She doesn't have devotion for a husband that will be hers. But this woman who God is looking for, she's prepared to make herself ready as a bride. And, and the description is amazing. Here in verse 9. Come, I will show you the bride of the lamb. Come, I'm going to show you the measurements, the express glory of this city of God. It is filled, verse 11, with the glory of God, radiant light, brilliant. She's a reflection of every precious jewel, jasper, clear as diamonds and crystals. Verse 12, it had a massive high wall. Nobody was coming through that. It, was an, it wasn't an easy little step into this reality. It was a high price. The angels were standing at the gates. And here the tribes of Israel were written on these gates. The foundations of this city were amazing. Verse 15, it says, it was a city of gold that measured its gates and its walls. It's not easily broken to. It's not easily transferred. Verse 18, the wall was built of jasper and pure gold transparency. 
You don't want to be with a person that has so many mysteries and secrets and hidden agendas. Transparency of gold is what adorns the city. And so all these character attributes of this woman, verse 23 says, there needs to be no sun or moon because her light is the glory of God. One of the most beautiful things of yesterday's wedding ceremony, it wasn't a fraud. There wasn't anything happening behind the scenes. You could see the light of the transparency of their eyes. They have become pure as the gold we're going to see in heaven. The lamb is its light. Jesus brings forth his light. Matthew 24, 35, my words will never pass away. If you're with a person who can't keep his word, you're with the wrong person. 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's the first indicator of the person you join with in the marriage relationship. As Jesus says, my words will not pass away. It wasn't for yesterday. When I said I loved you, it means forever. It wasn't a moment. It wasn't a season. Wherever you see my life, my words will not expire. You can't be with a person who turns around and say that was yesterday. That was a moment. I didn't mean that for tomorrow. I didn't mean that for next year. Jesus keeps his word. 2 Peter chapter 1.4 says he keeps his promises. Not only does he say, I'll be here tomorrow, that's his word, but he'll say, I promise I'm coming for you. And he's not going to go back on his promise. His promise is yes and amen. We have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. And through these promises, we know we can partake of his divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through evil desires. It's a glorious thing to be with a person that keeps their promise. A harlot cannot keep her promise. And then finally, a covenant relationship in Christ. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Jesus says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. He's a faithful God. He's a God who keeps his covenant. He's a God who when he enters into a covenant, he performs that which he covenants. And we're living in a generation of men that break their word, break their promise, break their covenant in marriage. God says he hates those who break covenant. The judgment of God is upon those who cannot keep his covenant. Today we're going to have the Lord's Supper and that was the new covenant in his blood. That is how a man used to engage his fiance, the one he loved. He used to break bread and says, look, take and eat. This is what I want to share with you, my life. Drink of my cup. This was all an engagement ceremony. And then he would go away to prepare a place for them. There's a lot of men that the only place they have prepared for their spouse is to live with their mother. To live with the in-laws. I want to suggest that you run from any man that wants you to live with his mother. I suggest you run like Forrest Gump does with any woman that wants you to live with her mother. 
But the Bible clearly says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. These covenants are covenants where the two become one, not the three. It's not the three, the mother-in-law, the father-in-law, the aunt, the uncle, everybody is there. He says that he will keep his covenant with those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. A man that's able to tell a woman, you could start out with, lo, I am with you forever. I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. Those are glorious words in the heart of a woman to know she has found a man, not somebody who's threatening every day to leave the relationship. You hear the words of Christ in the heart of a husband and you know that you're hitting the bullseye. Psalm 119 verse 90, your faithfulness continues in every generation. You established the earth and it stands God is not a flaky God with flaky promises. Lamentations 3.22 says the loving kindness of the Lord never ceases. His faithfulness endures. It never ceases. We have Lamentations 3.22. The Lord's mercy are that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Verse 23. Every morning. Every morning. Ready for this? Great is thy faithfulness. Not meager faithfulness. Not I wonder what's happening. But great is the faithfulness of God's covenant with us. The relationship in a betrothal is to say, I want to marry you. I remember still like if it was yesterday, a couple of years ago, Nick came up to me and he says, Dad, this girl that I have met that has become my friend is no longer just somebody I want to get acquainted with and know. I want to have her. I want her to be mine. That's a glorious day when a man comes to that conclusion to not only know a woman, to be able to get acquainted with her, but to say, I, I now am friends with her, and now I want to make her mine. As I read one of these scriptures, it reminds me of those words in Songs of Solomon. If we could go there very quickly, because um, we have a very short time. Songs of Solomon 2, verse 16 this is the point where you say, my beloved, my beloved is mine and I am his. I belong to him and he belongs to me. Whenever you have that reality take place, you know that you're tracking Christ. You know that you're following God's lead in this glorious relationship. In fact, as soon as that you became engaged in the Bible, you had legal status to prepare for that union. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 7, has anyone become pledged to be married? Are you engaged? Are you betrothed to a woman? Have you already told her you're going to marry her? And yet you have not married her? Let him go home to his house. We don't want him to die in battle and have another man marry her. As soon as a man gave his word for marriage, it was his bond. He was to move in the direction of that relationship 
for the glory of God. The Old Testament has all manner of imageries of, of these wedding relationships, of these scenarios that we do well in reading. Read the book of Esther as the king prepares for himself a bride in Esther, a woman who was appointed to prepare to meet the king and find his favor. I, I don't think that anybody's gonna be part of the bride of Christ without preparation, without charge. Esther chapter two, verse three says, let the king appoint administrators, stewards in all the provinces of his kingdom and have them gather all the beautiful virgins to the citadel under the custody of Haggai, the eunuch, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women and let their beauty preparations be given to him. I think that we're in the time of becoming beautiful unto the Lord that our character would be becoming attractive to one, that we would not walk outside of that. Um, it's there in Corinthians that Paul makes a, a little glimpse of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. He says, and remember, he's writing to the church, and he says, I'm jealous with you. Chapter 11, verse 2. I'm jealous for you with a God-type jealousy. I want to have you. For I have engaged you to one husband. You, you, you're about to marry the lamb. I, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Woo! Paul is talking to the church and saying, listen... Quit entertaining other priorities and other relationships because you're not to be in bed with just anyone. You're not to be flirting. I, I can't stand a woman who has a husband or a husband-to-be and is watching other men's social media and commenting. Oh, I like, I like, I like. You better like your husband, lady. You better be focused. And Paul is saying, I'm jealous for you because you have one husband. You're to be chaste and eyes for him only as a virgin. Verse 3. He says these words. He says, I fear, I'm concerned, lest somehow the serpent, just like the devil deceived Eve, so your thoughts might be corrupted from focusing on the simplicity of the Christ relationship, your relationship with Christ. The book of Esther, her preparations were to the king. She wanted to be found fit for him. In Esther chapter 2, here it was in verse 12, that for 12 months, they went through a process of beautification. Some of you need to shave your legs and, and go to Beth Bath and beyond and get yourself some oil and some mirror and some perfumes and go through a beautifying process. One of the things I was saying yesterday as I was leaving the wedding, as I was leaving the celebrations, we were gathered with some friends and I said, you know what makes a woman beautiful? It's not her dress. Praise God for all the dresses. It's not her hair. Praise God for all the hairdo. It's not even the jewelry. 
It's a smile on your countenance. You could see the beauty of a woman in her capacity to smile and the capacity of a man's character to make a woman smile. And some of you have not seen your wife smile for generations. It looks like she's sucking a lemon. It looks like she's bitter and resentful and unforgiveness. I, I met a man this week and I said, you know something, what you've taught your wife is to walk in bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. That makes a woman super ugly. I mean, I know that God has created woman to adorn the face of creation as the most beautiful thing. But you want to see the ugliest thing upon the earth? A woman who cannot smile. You can say amen. Go ahead. What makes a woman beautiful is her capacity to smile. Her capacity to go through a time of preparation an appointed time of six months to have all sorts of fragrance put in her life. If this woman is, is prepared as such and she goes through this beautification process and not this sorrow, bitter existence where I tell my nieces all the time, I tell my nieces, run, run. Why would you want to spend the rest of your life in misery, pain? God has not allotted you to be the, the poster child of dishonor. God wants you to have a beautifying expression of joy and peace and confidence, the character of a virtuous woman. But we have that imagery. We also have the imagery of the book of Ruth, where Ruth doesn't marry lazy, bored, horrible existence of a man, but she marries Boaz. And she's prepared as a woman prepared to marry her kinsman redeemer. If you have not heard these words before, that the entire Bible has explicit Expressions, Isaiah 54, 5, your husband is your maker. God wants to marry you. If you haven't heard this, you have probably haven't been in a real church for a long time. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the holy one of Israel. He called the, he is called the God of the whole earth. Verse 6, the Lord has called you unto himself like a wife forsaken, grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. God has preparations for a union that will be glorious and not sad. The preparations of God are that you might be able to be a glorious bride without spot, without wrinkle, Without any such thing, Ephesians 5.31 says, At this time, for this reason, God has said that man shall leave his father and mother. When you're able to come into the reality of what God has ordained in marriage, what God has ordained in the patterns and principles of his word, then you'll be joined to your wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says in verse 32, I speak of a great mystery, 
behind the embodiment of a man and woman who join in marriage is really the truth of the expression of Christ and his church. Christ is looking for a woman that will not be deceived by Satan, that will be engaged to be married. Songs of Solomon chapter 4 verse 12, I use this often in the lives of those that are getting married. I come into my garden. What does it mean to be a husband? It means to be a gardener. And who is your garden? Your sister, the one you treat like a sister, the one that you give honor to, that becomes your spouse. That's what I told Yvette before I married you. You're my sister in the Lord. You're my sister. There was a song that we sang. Oh, boy, we don't want to go there. No. You're my brother, you're my sister. So take me by the hand. Together we will work until he comes. See, we were sisters in the Lord, and then she became my spouse. She became the woman God would give me to start a family with. Verse 13, as I come into my garden, it's not just full of weeds, thorns, and thistles. It's full of carefully cultivated fruit, orchards and pomegranate, pleasant fruit, fragrance, attractive, spikenard, Cinnamon, verse 14, all manner of spices, spikenard and saffron, calamus, cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, with myrrhs, with alloys. There's no stench in this garden. There's no thorns. It's carefully put together with all chief spices. It's a place of attraction, not the place of odor. Verse 15, as I come into my garden, fountain of gardens, well living waters. You're definitely going to spring of life right there. It says it right there. Spring of life. Streams that are flowing from the desert. Verse 16. Awake north wind. Come winter months. Awake south. Come summer months. Come drought. Blow upon my garden. It doesn't matter the climate and the atmosphere that's blowing on that garden, what flows out of the winds that come in is pleasant fruit. I know some of you men come into your garden and it's a stench and it's bitter and there's no fruit and it's desolate and that's why you're looking over to another woman. But you're to care for your garden. You're to cultivate it and not neglect You're not to despise. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Come, my friends, enjoy this, my wife. I have come to my garden, this person that was my sister, who's now my spouse, and I have gathered all the spices, and I have eaten the honeycomb with my honey, and I have drunk my wine. I have provisions of milk. Verse 2, he says like this, He says, all manner of provision is there in the voice of my beloved. He knocks saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove. Listen to me. If you're not ready, the book of Songs of Solomon will make you blush. When Joshua and Brandon were getting their speeches ready for the reception, I said, listen, you guys are prohibited from talking about gazels. You're you're not to go to these chapter two of the Songs of Solomon 
where the bridegroom is talking about being with his bride. Thing is amazing. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8 is another great chapter in the book of a husband that cares for his wife where he says, I passed by you and I covered you and I set uh, my oil with you. I passed by you and looked upon you. Indeed, it was the time of love. So what do you do in the time of love? You spread your wings over to cover nakedness. You don't get involved in intimacy before coming to the altar of God. I wanted to swear an oath before God and enter into a covenant and you became mine. A lot of men are going around saying she's mine, but don't want to go to the altar to say, I do. I will cover her. I will provide for her. I will care for her. They don't want to enter into covenant. They don't want a marriage. God will judge fornicators and adulterers. It's going to be a horrible existence. Verse 9, the Bible says when he covers her garments and covers her nakedness, he washes her with his word and he anoints her with oil. These are perfumes. Verse 10, he begins to go through the process of beautification, clothing her with embroidery, giving her sandals, clothing her with fine linen, covering with silk. A lot of men don't want to marry a woman because they don't know how to cover nakedness. They don't know how to beautify. They don't know how to make extremely, that's what it says there in the last verse, verse 14, I put so much beauty upon you that you became famous amongst the nation. Yesterday, I don't know if you noticed, I know the bride was glorious, but my wife was incredibly Beautiful after 26 years. Incredibly joyous occasion because of the beauty, for it was perfect. Because I gave you my splendor and I bestowed upon you my glory, says the Lord. That's what the Lord wants to do in this season. He wants to make you his bride. He wants you to be glorious. He wants you to be attractive. People look at you with your smile, with your joy, with your peace, with the adornment. The Bible says, Solomon was not able to bring splendor upon himself like the Lord has dressed the lilies of the field. He says we're more important. He wants to adorn us as his people that we might become his. And that verse is so powerful as the Lord begins to say, well, the bride makes herself ready. Revelations 19, 7. Let us rejoice. Let us be glad. Let us be glad and rejoice and give God the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife looks like she's made herself ready. Everything is in place for you to receive this incredible union with the Lamb. The bride of the lamb is ready for the marriage, making herself ready. What makes her ready? Verse 8, that she has been given fine linen. She was granted to be arrayed in, in garments of praise. Fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen are the righteous expressions, manifestation, acts of the saints. I thank God 
for all that is in the word of God in this regard. A lot of people says, well, I'm going, I'm going. I said, no, you're not going. Matthew 22, verse 1 through 14 says that the kingdom of heaven will be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Verse 2, Jesus spoke this parable. The kingdom of God is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Who's going to come to this? Verse 3, he sent out his servants to call those who would be invited. If you're listening to this sermon, to this message, you're being invited to be the bride of the lamb. Start walking like it. Stop walking like a harlot. Stop having interests outside of the priorities of God for your life. A lot of men come to the church and says, well, pastor, there's like five girls I like. I don't know which one I'm going to marry. I said, if you like five girls, you're not ready to marry. And Christ also has one bride that he makes you faithful for. If you're not faithful with that bride, which is his church, you're not ready to be the bride. He's looking for a faithful bride, one that commits to his word and to his life. He sent out his servants to call those that would come to the wedding and they were not willing to come. So you hear this message and you're like, nothing? Well, guess what? That's your non-willingness to come. Verse four, then he sent out some other servants saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. All the preparations of the feast, the ox and the fatted calves are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding. How could you hear what you've heard this morning and not want to come? Verse 5 says they paid no attention. They disregarded the invitation and went their own ways, each one to his own farm, to his own business. Verse 6 says that the, the servants were, were mistreated. They were spitefully mistreated, and they were even killed off. I don't want to ever hear your voice again. I'm leaving. I'm going to distance myself from having anything to do with you. You remind me that... A bridegroom is calling me to be a bride. I don't want to hear that commitment. Quit reminding me. Verse 7, the king was enraged and sent soldiers and destroyed those and murdered and burned their city. When you reject the offer of God, it's not going to go well with you. You become God's enemy. So then God says in verse 9, go to the main highways that lead out to the city and invite the wedding feast as many as you find. Now everyone is being invited. Now is the time of coming into this. And they went out into the streets and gathered all the people. Verse 11, but when the king came to see the dinner guests, he saw a man who was not dressed appropriately, who did not have wedding garments. I thank God for everybody who honored my son's wedding by coming with garments that were fit for the celebration. I would not like to see somebody with torn and tattered jeans and sandals and t-shirts and coming in there like if they were not part of the wedding party. And here this man comes in there inappropriately dressed. Verse 12 says, <clears throat> he says, friend, how did you come in here without wedding garments? The guy was speechless. Ah, I thought this was like Jesus loves me the way I am. Yeah, Jesus loves you the way you are, but he requires you to walk in a standard of honor. He requires you to know what excellence is. He, does, he, he knows what Sunday's best is. Verse 13, the man was speechless, so the king said to his servants, take him hand and foot 
Take them away and cast them into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many people are going to be surprised. This guy thought that he was fit. And the judge and the king, the king judged him as unfit. He was thrown in the outer darkness. You don't want to go there, my friend. Revelations chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I know your deeds. I know the hard work you've put into this. I know your patience. I know that you've been tested. You have tried people that say that they're servants of God and are not. But I have one thing against you. Verse 4. I know you've been a Christian for a while. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. You forgot that this is an engagement season of our relationship, and I want to marry you. So what's the answer to this? Verse 5, return from where you have fallen. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Some of you have to get back in the mode of being the bride of Christ. Some of you continue to persevere to suffer under trials and setbacks and adversities to beautify and to be ready at his coming. And so here it is, Revelations 22, 17. It says, the spirit and the bride have an attitude, say, come, Lord Jesus. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. We want to participate in the Lord's Supper so we will not belabor our point this morning other than to say that Yesterday was a glorious day, but it does not compare to what's coming in the Christ's return for his bride. He is preparing a bride. He's sanctifying a bride. He's bringing a bride to closer commitment to make herself ready to walk in a manner that pleases the king and always honor the king and always walk in such a manner that is able to show that many women have done well, but you far surpass them all. Beauty is vain and charm is a deceit, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised, the Bible says. You walk in a different mindset because you have a different relationship. And then put on the attractive expressions of being the bride of Christ in this season. You're remarkable, you're beautiful. You walk in the spirit of excellence. Your devotion is uncompromised. You're not distracted. When Boaz heard about Ruth, he says, I know that you don't run around with just anyone. That's why I set you apart to be mine. And God doesn't want his bride to be on every street corner. That God would give us a heart to be a faithful and chaste virgin as his bride. Let's pray for the Lord's table today. Father, as we see the bread and the cup, we remind us of the Hebrew relationship of engagement where the bridegroom takes part of the bread and eats and then gives to his bride-to-be and says, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you, which is dedicated to you, that I might participate in such a way that I bring glory and honor, that I might participate in a manner which is worthy. The bridegroom takes the cup and says, drink from my cup, I'm coming back for you. You belong to me. 
And Jesus has said the same thing. So he said that he would not partake of the bread and the cup until he returns. And we know that he will return just as he left. But he gave us an engagement that night of the Lord's Supper. And we say yes. We do accept his bread and his cup to be part of his life. To be part of that union. Bless this table and that we might partake in a manner which honors you, Lord. And yes, we the bride and the spirit say, come, Lord Jesus. Make us ready for that moment. Remove stains and spots and wrinkles with the blood of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. We glorify your name. We, we honor you. We thank you that we have been chosen to come and sit upon your throne as you have sat upon your father's throne. So, Father, we pray for this bread and this cup. And as we participate, we rejoice because this is a table of celebration of the faithfulness of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As we pass out the elements, there's some of the brethren here at the church. I want you to also be able to participate with your family and friends and take bread and, and pray for it and open up scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and begin to, to know that God wants us to be ready at his coming. He wants us to be his bride. He wants us to walk in that level of devotion. He wants us to be the wife to come.
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, the Lord's body drinks judgment to himself not discerning the body of Christ. For this reason, many are weak and asleep and many are sick among you. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord so that we are not condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. The rest I will set in order when I come. Father, thank you for this bread. Thank you that it represents your body that was broken so that your body here upon the earth would be united so that we might be healed together, Lord, that we might do the work of the Lord, that we might glorify your name as one body, one spirit, one Lord. Allow us to participate in such a way, Father God, that wherever there is schism, and offense and unforgiveness, we purpose in our hearts to forgive and to reconcile and to restore, that we might partake in a manner which is worthy of this table. In Jesus' name, you may participate of the bread. What can take away the sin? nothing but the blood of the lamb. And this cup represents your blood that was poured out in Calvary for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we ask you to forgive our sins and to wash us and to cleanse us and to make us white as snow. Forgive us, Father God, our disobedience and rebellion and trespass. Heal us, Lord. Restore us. Make us brand new, O oh God, that we might serve you with joy and excellence bless this cup in Jesus name we pray you may participate of the cup as we finalize today's service we know that yesterday Nick went from being a single man to being a husband no longer just caring for his physical body his emotions and soul and his spirit but now he's entrusted to care for the body the soul and the spirit of the woman God has given him husbandry is a place of maturity it's a place of responsibility it's a place where the manifestation of man's character will be reflected off the countenance of his wife's face so father we ask you to continue to bless them as they travel, keep them safe. And Lord, I present for you the marriages in this church, that they would be healed, 
that they would be restored, that they would be renewed. Father, I rebuke Satan. I rebuke his assignment to destroy marriage and to disface and distort the groom and the, and, the, and the bride. And I pray, Father God, that we walk upon the earth as husbands and wives with the manifest character of honoring all things regarding marriage. I pray, Father God, that every one of our families would be joined as one for the glory of the children that sit under these parents. You say in your word in Proverbs 17, verse 6, that the glory of children are their parents. And the devil wants to mess with that. And I pray, Father God, that you restore our children's glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you on Wednesday night. Love you. And we're on celebration mode. In Jesus' name, let's change the world. God bless you.